Greetings, Maltopians. Are you looking to delve deeper into the world of Maltopia? Then check out our Patreon, where you can find written mythos pieces, world maps, found footage, art, Patreon-exclusive shows, and more. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Maltopia and join one of our tiers for access to great new content. Brave the forbidden and embrace the darkness. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Sharon, and here's where it gets interesting. Raise your hand if you want Salon Perfect Nails for just $2 a manicure. Yeah, me too. With the Alvin June Manny system, you can say goodbye to expensive services that take hours and hours and love your nails more than ever. I would know I've been doing it for years. Get 20% off your first Manny system with code PERFECTMANNY20 at olivenjune.com slash PERFECTMANNY20. That's PERFECTMANNY20 at olivenjune.com slash PERFECTMANNY20. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Maltopia podcast. For our oldest and most loyal listeners out there, We wanted to let you know about our new Patreon page. Outside of our careers and time spent with family, the three of us here at Maltopia have been working every night and weekend for the past five years, building our company into what it is today. With your help, our goal is to make Maltopia our livelihood, allowing us to bring you higher quality content, exciting new podcast series and published works, and a large central community for you to take part in. As a thank you for your support, 
we're offering exclusive perks and bonus content, like early access to podcast episodes, behind-the-scene creator videos, and more. Go to patreon.com forward slash Maltopia today and explore our membership levels. And be sure to scroll through for free public content, some of which gives you a sneak peek at what you can expect when you become a member. From Mark, Steve, and Walker, thanks again for enjoying our podcast, and we hope to meet you soon on Patreon. Kettleston had been a hotbed of rumor and suspicion long before the darkness, lending its name to nightmares filled with the chortle and whisper of secret things and the abrupt silence of vanished visitors. It became sort of a beacon for myth-seekers and ghost-hunters, shortly after a book was written to enumerate its strange habits. Its Yellow Rooms was written by Emile Lashbury in the fall of 1982 and was initially likened to contemporary occult tell-alls, where the credibility of alleged hauntings and demon possession was generally a poorly fortified account told through a highly dubious source. However, Lashbury's story proved a more challenging boat to upend, as his count was later strengthened by corroborating audio and visual material, all of it clear and well-organized just one of a number of powerful blows to what would eventually topple the long-standing edifice of smug skepticism. Soon, the story of the Witches of Kettleston and the frightful Gru Barons that squatted worryingly at its northern edge was the stuff of history. How the town's coven made blood packs with unclean things brought down from the sky. The great witch mill that had been erected to mechanically crush the singular yellow berries that only flourished in the Barrens. And lastly, how the berry's sallow distillate was made into a paint used to coat rooms where alien spirits were said to have been reposed. All this fascination only magnified, or perhaps mutated, after the great darkness of 1999. All manner of supernatural diablerie had been blamed for the darkness. Not that such an assumption should be seriously doubted and thus made the worst kind of sense that hordes of frightened persons should seek out places like Kettleston and its clandestine cabal to take out their horrible prejudices disguised as hysteria. The short-term result of this act was nothing less than the recapitulation of man's dark past, only this time replayed upon an even darker stage. All the Kettlestonians were summarily ripped from their homes and put to some imaginative death or another. Naturally, during such barbaric times, there is a want to align one's evildoing with past and equally amoral practices. So many Kettlestonians found themselves burned at stakes, drowned, 
and so forth. And while the Malleus Malficarum may not have been on hand to supply any specific guidance, those persons wanting of a more violent or painful means of discharging a witch may do with startling creativity. This event alone warranted the bloody stain it impressed upon post-noctum history and humanity in general, and more than earned the informal naming of the town. Yet Kettleston's legend and subsequent shunning were not fully gained until a good while later. As anyone who lived through the days of the darkness can attest, crimes were very rarely attached to their committers, as lawlessness was more the rule than the exception. So, it should come as little surprise that the Kettleston Massacre was not properly dealt with, if at all. This fact owed to both stunned indifference and the sheer volume of tragedy. Injustices were so numerous and interpenetrating that isolating one from the other was like dividing a curl of smoke from an inferno. It might have been that vengeance was biding its time, or that it was overwhelmed with too many choices for its final becoming. Either way, it was a full two years before the massacre was addressed by anything approximating justice. At first, the disappearances were not connected, as they might have very well been products of garden-variety misfortune, just so much dystopian fallout. As if to supply the curious with a clue, small yellow berries began turning up in places where certain people had vanished, berries only found in one place. It was upon the 16th of August, 2003, a short while after the last member of the lynch mob responsible for the Kettleston massacre had gone missing, that it was discovered the dread witch mill had recently been in use, evident by the thick red puddles that had collected within its ceramic juice traps, just beneath the equally flushed stone-toothed mill. A subsequent search of the town revealed a shocking uniformity with its past though modified to address certain karmic imbalances. In addition to the yellow-painted rooms, for the alleged containment of certain spirits, there was now an accompanying red room within every abandoned residence, freshly painted in the blood of a bygone mob. The story behind Dead Witch was at the very center of the conversation and Hazel listened intently as Keith rattled off street names as they passed them, pointing here and there about the city, sharing scraps of haunted trivia he'd acquired since his coming to the place. Her curiosity was especially piqued when she realized she'd chosen a yellow room for her own, and only now recalled that she'd glimpsed a doorframe peeking out from behind a vintage secretary cabinet occupying the far end of the hallway likely the red room of the house. Of course, our benefactors sent in their best people to see that the city was once again ready for citizens, whatever that may entail. Hazel enjoyed Keith's company. He was the freest spirit in the household and a joy to converse with, and it didn't trouble her in the least that he was a raving lunatic. Together, the regressor and death singer strolled through the empty, weed-choked lanes of Deadwich, talking casually as they made their way downtown for supplies. Eric had informed her the previous night that a long line of black vans had made their winding way through the streets to restock the city of its necessities for those Malsapiens who still wanted of such things. 
It was the first time she had the chance to really look around the place, and she couldn't help but enjoy the sights. Her love for the antique made the vision of a much-neglected town at sunset an almost magical affair. The dying evening sun leaked crimson through the breezy canopy that nearly enclosed the edges of town, blurring the boundaries between city and forest. And the crumbling homes resembled a ragged train of derelicts waiting in line for a handout. But she knew not all the houses were abandoned, and that like her own residence, Malsapiens dwelt within. The two were not alone as they moved about, as every now and then, generally a few blocks distant, there might appear another person, perhaps even a few, wandering about for whatever reason. Looking completely upon the city was a tricky affair, Hazel realized. It were as if the city refused her any clear look at itself, interrupting her gaze with dangling vines, overgrown brambles, and low-sweeping branches. It gave her the impression of moving through individual chambers, quaint confusions of town and countryside, each one closing off small sections of the city for itself, rather than moving through any continuous urban space. Arriving at their destination, a tumbled-down grocery store, they entered its unlit recesses. Keith produced a flashlight from his pocket and began sorting through the large crates that had been set out in front of the aisles. All of the items were either dry goods or bottled water. There were other crates placed further back into the store, and she could see the jostle and glow of several lights moving between them, accompanied by the dim shapes that perused their contents. Do you know any of the other mal-persons that live around here? Hazel asked, placing a can of green beans in her backpack. A few. They're not a particularly chatty lot, unfortunately. You see, we're the new kids on the crumbling block, so they get to act out their roles as first-comers. It's not a glamorous part, but it does supply a bit of dominance to those who play it. I don't begrudge them their base impulses. We all need something to call our own, don't we? At this, Hazel just shrugged, enjoying the casual wisdom of the man. After they filled their packs, Hazel strained to adjust the strap and asked between groans the question she was waiting to ask, hoping that by tossing it into the middle of their exchange, her interest might go unnoticed. Where are Eric and Mars going tonight? I heard Eric tell you that they wouldn't be back until early morning. Her plan might have worked, had her voice not trembled so. But Keith was not likely to miss so audible a clue. Even in the darkness, she could tell he lingered on her question, unpacking it. She imagined the smug smile he'd likely concealed from her. Unfortunately, Mars requires more sustenance than what can be packed into a crate and dropped off in the dead of night. Eric is taking him where he can get what he needs. His voice dropped off a bit, as if building the requisite suspense for his concluding words upon the matter. Eric will be quite fine, my dear. Hazel finished adjusting her pack and turned towards the exit as if she'd never asked the question, concealing her own smile. Lynn hadn't left her room for days her thoughts and feelings a cooling tar of darkness. She wanted nothing more than to close herself off, but that would make things worse, inch her ever closer to the brink. She played through the senses of the house, 
getting impressions of the newcomer, if merely to distract her from the oblivion gnawing away at her. She cursed herself for caring, trying to embrace a part of herself that was likely to die away. She had to vow never again to go so far. The kiss from the void had almost been too much. She hadn't released that much of it before. Not since the beginning. Shortly after being removed from the Melengen, Lynn was made to understand that her new life would be one of indentured servitude, participating in whatever schemes her new masters saw fit to involve her. It was a good enough deal. She would bear the machine's gift only so long before it was taken from her for another to carry. And after all was finished, she would be greatly rewarded for her service and left to do as she willed. Her hope at the time seemed strong enough to overwhelm her deeply seated suspicion that the machine would someday call upon her again for something she couldn't quite fathom. To properly function within her new capacity, Lynn's gift needed to be understood. So, like all Malsapiens, she underwent various and rigorous testing. Yet, unlike other Malsapiens, no test, irrespective of how finely calibrated its sensitivities, could pinpoint the precise nature of her malgenic talent. While she displayed several inhuman capacities, there seemed no central theme to unite them. Even Spider Black seemed at a loss. Late one evening, Lynn stormed out of one of the labs, refusing the touch of another needle, sobbing at the alien world she'd been absorbed into, and its cold, antiseptic soul. She'd been in a room crying atop the bed for several minutes before she realized Spider Black sitting in the chair next to her window, somehow arriving despite the locked door. She froze at the sight of him, his mysterious arrival frightening her. He tilted his head slowly as he spoke, in either a mocking gesture of sympathy or the real thing. There's so much woe in you, my dear. So much longing and so little life. Perhaps the wonderful flower that was gifted you has gone to seed, curled up upon itself inside the soul you once sought to extinguish. Whatever the matter, I have faith in the machine. Does that sound strange to you, Lynn? To have faith in a machine? Lynn said nothing, but simply curled herself further into the fetal position atop her bed, waiting for the shadow in the chair to conclude its soliloquy. You see, because I know there's a reason it chose you. We'll just proceed as if we'd sorted all that business out. So, no more tests, no more needles. But tomorrow, I'm sending you along with some friends from the company to observe some business. You need merely sit by and watch. Absorb whatever lessons you can, for you must know what's expected of you, what you will be doing for us, my dear. For me, Lynn was still shivering long after Spider Black had vanished from her room, as if he were never there in the first place. It 
It was late in the afternoon when she'd been driven to a small suspension bridge overhanging a rushing river. The roomy SUV occupied by herself and three men. All of her companions were wide-shouldered and square-jawed, wore smart dark suits, sported large gold wristwatches, and smelled of pine trees in the fall. Besides instructing her to get into the car at the outset of the trip, the men hadn't looked at her, let alone mentioned the business at hand. She was able to latch onto their senses to supply her own, but they were like machines, looking and feeling with little to no flourish, no wasted movements whatsoever. The journey took the better part of the day, and night was just beginning to close off the sky. On the far side of the bridge, at least a hundred yards away, was parked several dark cars surrounded by shuffling figures. The tallest of her companions took her firmly about the arm as they moved across the bridge, the surging river washing them in mist, those on the opposite side traveling likewise. She didn't bother struggling against the hand upon her arm. She felt the effort useless. This new life of hers was just a rental. She had to do what she was told, go wherever she was yanked. As both parties arrived at the middle of the bridge, the newcomers, a motley of men and women wearing expensive jogging suits of varying color and degrees of fit, stood back several feet, putting their hands out, indicating Lynn and company should come no closer. The screech of tires seized her attention. Three cars had pulled up around the SUV she'd arrived in, the occupants waving machine guns out the windows. By the time she turned to face the joggers, they too had produced automatic weapons. Her entourage hadn't so much as flinched, but only calmly looked on. All right, give it to us. Now, barked the gunman closest Lynn, lifting the barrel of his weapon till it was eye level with her tallest associate. All three of the men opened their neatly pressed suits, inviting a search of their persons. Lynn noticed that they were unarmed. After one of the gunmen searched all their pockets, he called out, They ain't got it. Finally, one of the suited men spoke, a small smirk curling his lips. We ain't got it. He was mocking the pocket checker. Lynn felt like she was going to be sick. She reached out to the gunman's senses, not knowing what to do with them, beyond watching herself die through a different set of eyes. The leader of the group growled at Lynn and company. You guys called us out here, dipshits. And you got the balls to show up empty-handed? You think this shit is funny, don't you? The shortest of the trio, also smirking, answered the rhetorical question. We think this shit is funny. The lead gunman smirked back, looked at his fellow runners, licked his lips nervously, and said, <laughs> Then you'll get a kick out of this. Fucking kill him. Lynn didn't bother screaming when the joggers opened fire, bullets shredding her associates to bloody rags. She just let go her senses and expected to die into the quiet of her own personal oblivion, an even less painful affair than the time she tried to do the job herself. But as time passed and she remained alive inside her insensate shell, she decided to survey things through the eyes of what should have been her killers. Not a single bullet struck her. She looked through the gunmen to see what awful fate they'd spared for her. Yet they seemed equally perplexed by her good health. 
just a gaggle of sprinters staring through so many pairs of peeled grapes. At last, one of them withdrew a small curving blade from a sheath strapped to his left calf and mumbled, I'll handle this. She'd had too much and was thoroughly sick of surviving. Life was no better for her second resurrection, so she held out no hope for the third. She almost invited the knife into her neck, but just as the blade reached out for her, the earth seemed to ripple, caught within the relentless pull of her own melancholy. An aching vacancy filled her, merging her body with the emptiness of her soul. The world around her flashed the last color before oblivion. The joggers became screams, and then whispers, and then nothing. Lynn woke up in a gorge between two jutting cliffs, her mind a funeral of feelings. Unconsciously reaching out to a set of eyes looking down from atop the northern cliff, she took in her surroundings. She was where she started, save that the bridge, the joggers, and even the river were gone, as if they'd never been. A despair the size and depth of forgotten water surged through her, an embryonic emptiness stretching out. She could feel Spider Black's words as he spoke them from high atop the cliff. And now we know precisely what you'll be doing for me, don't we, my dear? She wanted to cry, but all she felt was nothing. Just the freezing white call of the void. Thank you once again for listening to another episode of the Maltopia Podcast. To help us grow and spread the word, we'd love nothing more than for you to like, comment, rate, and review us on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. You can also connect with us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, and tweet us on Twitter for the latest original artwork and important updates. And for even more about our ever-growing literary world, head to Maltopia.com to read our dark fiction and gain access to giveaways and discounts with our newsletter. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Today, we'd like to introduce you to a great fantasy audio drama called Circe. The show is similar to Lord of the Rings, except that it focuses on an awesome gay sorceress on the planet of Elbion. Thyra is recording stories of her past to help regain her magical abilities. We learn of her life and how she came to be a member of the Circe. If you're a fan of gay stories and characters, Lord of the Rings and Xena the Warrior Princess, you'll love this show. Check out Circe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. 
ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. This is Roundabout Season 2, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. (laughs) (laughs) You will be right. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. (laughs) This was like wilderness. A lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, yeah, you, you were different. Like you were real different, bro. I can't really put my finger on it. And so much more. Just goes to show that unexpected yeah. things sometimes are the best when it comes to a road trip. Roundabout season two, presented by Nissan, is live now with new episodes rolling out every Thursday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.